I'm Julie Moran, and I am so thrilled to bring you my podcast, Limitless, Boldly Tackle Your Next Chapter. Today on my Limitless podcast, authors Katie Mayon and Joan Hill, whose books, The Miracle Collectors and The Miracle Chase, talk about miracles, what they are, and how they still exist today if you're open to and aware of them around you. Katie and Joan, I'm going to ask you the most obvious question. After writing two books about miracles, do you believe they can and still happen today? Absolutely. I mean, we've been studying this topic for over 20 years. And the only thing that I would say is that our ideas about the concept of what a miracle is has changed over time. So it sort of started from what we knew, you know, 20 some odd years ago, which was kind of surface We grew up as Jesuit-educated Catholics. And uh, then as we researched and studied other faith traditions, wisdom traditions, uh, we we understand the concept of the miraculous in a much broader sense. So it would include things like, um, you know, the loving kindness of a stranger or, or a loved one, or even a beautiful sunset or other things in nature that bring us to a place of wonder and awe. And Joan, what about you? Miracles still happening? Oh my goodness, I absolutely agree. In fact, I think that the word miracle is sort of part of a universal language. I mean, if you go into my local um, drugstore, there's miracle eye cream, there are miracles in sports, there are miracles, um, there was a miracle playground equipment company, there are miracles. Uh, look at the four children who just uh, survived the, uh, the Brazilian rainforest. You Amazing. know, these things happen, and, and we realize, you know, that miracles are, as Katie said, there it can be small works, uh, occur, occurrences in nature's thing that happen every day, a beautiful sunrise to these kind of thunderbolt things that are just almost completely inexplicable. And I love in your books that you say when you're aware and you're present, you're present and aware, miracles still abound. Yes. And I mean, we divided our second book into three sections and the first whole section is about becoming more aware. And I think all of us, if we ask ourselves the question about awareness, we think, well, I'm aware, right? you know, I mean, uh, I, it, I stop at the light, I turn right at the corner. But the truth is that real awareness takes uh, intention and it takes practice. And it, it really means living in that moment and only that moment. And when we do that, we notice things that we absolutely would never have noticed otherwise. Joan, I want to talk to you. You have such an extensive uh, career in medicine and you had a real miracle in your life. And you do believe that your son not dying and living was a true miracle. Tell us about that. Well, I think that it's really interesting. In fact, I did not come to that uh, conclusion easily or right away. I think that one of the things that happens is that miracles unfold. And, you know, we're all brought up to think about these thunderbolt things, you know, the parting of the Red Sea or the, you know, Mohammed's trip from Mecca to Medina. Um, The resurrection of Jesus is these sort of thunderbolt miracles that change you know, the course of history to a certain extent. But there are also miracles that are sort of waves of grace 
that happened, a series of coincidences. And I would tell you that that's what happened with our son. I happened to be at school that day. You know, the school happened to have a special vacation over Thanksgiving. So we happened to go east, you know, to find what was really wrong with with him. Um, The surgeon just happened to be you know, a good friend of mine's lab partner after I was his lab partner. There were these telltale signs. And miracles are nothing if not signs. You know, but you sometimes we don't read the signs. And, you know, leading up to the fact that uh, he did have a cardiac anomaly that had never before been seen in a live person. Um, they typically just drop dead. And then on autopsy, they say, wow, this is what happened. And for them to find this in a live person really was remarkable. Um, and once fo- once they found it, they weren't exactly sure how to fix it. Um, the way to fix it might have been a, a temporary fix, which would require open-heart surgery every 12 to 15 years. When, if, when you're 13, that's a big deal. Um, and as it turns out, in this very moving moment, the surgeon was actually able to move his coronary artery uh, to the proper place. And it happened, and he, he didn't, going into the, the surgery, he did not think he was going to be able to do that. But basically, he was able to. And it sort of coincided with this very strange experience. I call it, um, you know, a thunderbolt, my thunderbolt from the sky being hit on the head by a sort of two-by-four when the television <laughs> station in the hospital waiting room, which had been watching Jerry Springer, um, suddenly turned to the, the movie, The Song of Bernadette. And Bernadette, who was the same age as my son, whose mother's name was Louise, which is my maiden name, called out to me literally from the television. And I turned to hear my name, Louise, being called. And the people in the waiting room were like, what is this and what happened? And it was at that moment that my favorite movie, um, this Bernadette being the person who saw the Blessed Mother and started uh, at Lourdes, which is a great spot of healing. Um, It came to me that this was not in my control anymore. This was, I had, my son was in the hands of the medical profession and certainly in God's hands. Well, I love that you say, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this wasn't supposed to happen, but that happened. And I always call them instead of coincidences, God incidences. Like he is stringing together this web that we don't even see or recognize. And then you said it took you a moment to realize that something else was happening. Some God was stepping in to your son's situation. Well, it took a moment and it also took Katie kind of beating me over the head <laughs> and reminding me that these things, you know, because oftentimes in life we go through and we go, that's just nice. You know, that's just fine. Life is good. Let's move on. And I think we, you know, it goes to the being aware. Let's move on and let's, you know, think about something else and get to the next thing. And I think Katie's point um, about being aware and taking the time to realize is really what's important. And I think that's what we've done in the conversations that we've opened with people at our book events. Um, We've given people permission to be aware and rethink some of the things that have happened in their lives. And Katie, in this post-pandemic world, why do you think it's so important to share 
our stories, share our inspirations, share our miracles with each other? Well, when we share stories with each other, we real stories, whether they're defining moments in our lives, whether they're spiritual, you know, miracle type stories, uh, we are allowing ourselves to be, to be vulnerable and be honest in a way that uh, a lot of us aren't used to. We like to say, you know, we tend to go a mile wide in our relationships, uh, you know, sort of the social media kind of connection, uh, as opposed to a mile deep instead. And I think when we share these types of stories with each other, uh, we open ourselves up to deeper connection. And I think that's really what is most important to all of us if we really think about it. We want to connect with people on a deeper level. And that's one way to do it. You know, I have to tell you, reading your books has really kind of reinvigorated my faith. Have, uh, have your readers told you similar stories? Very much so. Our, you know, we've gotten, we've gotten amazing um, sort of feedback. Some people really talk about how it deepens their faith. In fact, in the Miracle Collectors, you know, so many people have asked us, like, well, how do you begin a spiritual journey? What, what does that even look like? And we have a, at the end of each chapter, there's something called the Take a Miracle Moment Challenge. That is actually some sort of practical steps that you can, you know, ask yourself or ask each other in a book club. We had one couple who asked each other these things is after dinner, after dinner conversations. And it said it changed their 30 plus year marriage because they were able to go deeper about different things that they hadn't really been talking about for a while. So very much so. You know, the other thing that I would add to that is that what we found is that it wasn't easy for us to share our own stories. It's not like we, we, we just felt that we were kind of had a responsibility in a way to share them because these, they were gifts and we saw them as stories that were meant to be shared. But when we did so, we somehow gave others permission to do the same thing. And that was an unexpected consequence of this whole journey. Uh, when we traveled around the country promoting book number one called The Miracle Chase, uh, we started every talk with our own stories and people came out of the woodwork with their stories. And that really surprised us, I have to say. You know, I have a Thunderbolt miracle story and, and it's it's kind of hard for me to tell people because it sounds a little bit crazy. I'm sure some people have told you that about some of their miracle stories. But when I was 16 years old, I'll make this quick, I went on a mission trip with my youth group at church with, I'll never forget this pastor, um, Jimmy Keaton. We went to the smallest, most obscure towns in Mexico where uh, we stayed in a home with dirt floors. We went to a church that had dirt aisles and no pews, but yet these people would come in and all of a sudden... uh, this pastor, Jimmy Keaton, said, does anyone here need healing? And this 70-year-old woman started walking down this dirt aisle with her cane, and she came up, and we had an interpreter, and she said, one of my legs is shorter than the other, and I cannot walk very well. And for some reason, this pastor, Jimmy Keaton, said, Julie, she had her sit down, and he said, hold her ankles. And as I held them, one ankle was a good four to six inches, one leg was longer than the other leg. And he said, everybody gather around. We're going to pray for her healing. And as he did, I am not crazy. And to this day, I will tell you, I witnessed this. 
her other leg grew out and met the other leg equally. And she set down the cane and she walked down the aisle and out the church. And I never saw her again. I know that sounds like, oh, that couldn't have really happened. But I watched it happen with my own eyes. Why do I think it happened? Because I think her faith was so simple and so pure and not complicated. And her belief was so strong, but it was so simple and grounded that she allowed that miracle to happen. And sometimes we put up these roadblocks, social media, the world we live in, but her life was simple. Her faith was simple. Her belief was huge. And I witnessed a miracle. I think you really hit on something that's really important, which is, and we found this uh, time and time again, people are afraid to share these stories because they're afraid that people won't believe them or will think that they're crazy. Or, you know, we don't have a place in our brain where we sort of store miracle stories. And so sometimes they get hidden. And when we would talk, people go, oh, I haven't thought about that for a long time um, or something. What do you think about this story? And when we say our stories out loud, we also, you know, have a different view of we hear them differently to a certain extent. But you're exactly right. That story that you shared, which is a beautiful story of faith and that simplicity. She believed in her heart that, you know, she was worthy of a miracle. That's the other thing that gets in our way. Sometimes we're afraid to let our light shine. We don't think we're worthy. We put up, as you say, these roadblocks. Some of them are internal roadblocks, as well as all the external ones of time and effort and, um, you know, money we think or whatever. But a lot of times it's really inside. She was willing to come forward and say, please help me. And that's really important. You talk about in your books, uh, the secret sauce. Um, Just tell our audience a little bit and describe what you mean when you talk about the secret sauce. So we call it generosity of spirit. And Joan and I have had a lot of, uh, experience with generosity of spirit because you can't have a collaborative partnership, especially a writing partnership that deals with a subject that is, you know, deep and sometimes personal and certainly spiritual uh, without employing many of the characteristics of a generosity of spirit, which means that uh, you check your ego at the door. You know, you, you, you assume positive intent. You recognize that what you're doing is is bigger than either one of you and so you're focused on um, the right thing in the right way and also you develop a skill that all of us at least i can speak for myself need a lot of help with which is empathic listening which means that we're listening to what someone is saying without agenda without judgment and without Mm -hmm. thinking about what we're going to say next and so all of those things are, are, are important uh, characteristics of this generosity of spirit. And when they are employed, they bring out the best in us. And therefore, they bring out the best in our relationships. So well said. The other wonderful thing about generosity of spirit is that it's contagious. And, you know, when we approach a situation with generosity of spirit, we're often, we receive that generosity of spirit in kind in return and you know there's a wonderful story that we like to tell about um there's a there was a dairy queen or is a dairy queen just outside of minneapolis and uh 
was before the holidays a couple years back and the gentleman, you know, did the drive through and paid for his meal. And he said, I want to pay for the people behind me. And he paid for the people behind his meals. And when the second car got to the window, they said, oh, your meal's been paid for by the gentleman in front of you. They said, well, isn't that nice? I want to pay for the car behind me. And the third car, that went on for 900 cars. <laughs> I mean, think. And and three days. Oh, my God. 900 cars and three days. And it was it was the first year of the pandemic. And this small town had been hit pretty hard. And that's the reason why this guy started it in the first place. But it, it it's an incredible story of generosity of spirit being contagious. <laughs> I think in your books, you talk about the ripple effect. Well, that is a great example of the ripple effect, right? Very much so. You never know sort of what how something you do is going to affect or touch someone's life in the future. And I think that that's a really, you know, we, we kind of, the ripple effect became, was really important to us from the very beginning. If generosity of spirit allowed us to actually work together and write these books and stay open to the, to the principle that this was larger than we were and we need to put our best selves forward, then it was the ripple effect of what happens next, not just the event that happened, but the what happened next and how we can um, affect change in the world that was really important. So one of the things that we talk a lot about is that sometimes people can be the miracle for someone else. We talk about that as giving God an assist. You know, we think of miracles as (laughs) asking God to say yes to us, but as a sports person, sports fan, you'll know that sometimes we have to be the ones to say yes. And, you know, there are just wonderful, wonderful stories that are so uplifting that you realize that people can be um, the miracle for someone. I'm going to tell you a very simple one that happened at the Tokyo Olympics, and then I'll ask uh, Katie to tell the one that's really amazing from a waitress in Florida. But simple story from the Olympics of 2020 in Tokyo. There was a a Jamaican uh, runner who basically got on the wrong bus by accident. I mean, if you think about it, it was the pandemic, it was security, it was a foreign language, it was things where people were crazy at that time. Um, And he got, as I said, he got on the wrong bus. Well, he realized by the time he got back to the Olympic Village, there was no way to get on the right bus and make his qualifying final. There was a volunteer who saw this look of distress. And, you know, volunteers are pretty much trained at sports events to kind of not go near athletes and just make sure that, you know, everybody stays away and, and kind of crowd control and whatever. But she went out of her comfort level and she went up and said, you know, how can I help you? And she realized what had happened. She gave him money for cab fare, put him in a cab. He made his qualifying heat and he won the gold medal. Oh my gosh. Do I love that story? Exactly. Talk about a ripple effect, but that's one, and I think it's 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 simple and it's lovely. But Katie's going to tell you one that blow, will blow your socks off. This happened uh, a few New Year's Eves ago. Again, during the pandemic, there was a a waitress, you know, just going about her night job in Orlando, Florida, and a family came in, and she noticed that they didn't order any food for their scrawny-looking son, which she thought was odd, but they came up with some sort of excuse. And then she noticed that there were some scratches and bruises on his face and she got alarmed and she decided to act. So she goes back to the kitchen and she writes on a sign 
do you need help? And she goes back out to the table and stands behind the parents in a spot where only the boy could see her. And he almost imperceptibly shook his head yes. She goes back to the kitchen and she calls 911. And his stepfather was arrested for child abuse. Now, it's a very, very sad story. Subsequent uh, reports indicated that he had been so abused that she likely saved his life. Mm. Um, there's always a risk to get involved. We can talk about, about that. It was interesting though, too, that she wasn't supposed to be working that night. She filled in for a co-worker who had called in sick and the little boy, of course, sat in the only seat where he could see her, but the parents could not. And, uh, I, anyway, it's a wonderful story of being the miracle for someone else when you don't have to be. And one of the things that we say is, you know what your job is. And when you say you know what your job is, it's not, it's not the kind of job that has a line item on a, on a piece of paper. It's the job that has only your name on it because you're the right person in the right place at the right time. And we all have situations like that that come across our lives uh, where we're the only ones who know that someone's hurting. We're the only ones that know I, I, I need to make this phone call. So you have to listen to those nudges um, and, and show up and, and be the miracle for each other. And why do you think it's so hard for so many of us, all of us, to recognize the little miracles that are happening in our life all the time? Why is it so hard for us to believe or to recognize those? A lot of it is because we feel that we're just not worthy to receive a miracle. Mm. You know, I think that we're just kind of not programmed that way to a certain extent. And so we, you know, we all have our insecurities. And I think it really plays into, into that so that we, you know, we've, we live in an environment to a certain extent that is um, a little bit jaded, you know, a little bit skeptical. And so we're not we talk a little bit about developing a miracle mindset. And once you develop this miracle mindset, that it really talks about sort of miracle, developing miracle vision, looking at things, you know, it goes back to Albert Einstein. There's only two ways to look at life. One is if everything is a miracle and the other is that nothing is, you know, so if we can develop this miracle mindset um, by developing miracle vision, by developing something we call miracle courage, which is the courage to really come forth and talk about a, a miracle or to go ahead and do what you need to do, do the right thing, um, turn the boat towards danger, ask someone if they need help when you don't know what the answer will be. Uh, you know, make room for someone in line or do do a kind you know, make a kind gesture. We don't know what the response is. So it takes courage to be able to do that. And as Maya Angelou says, courage is like a muscle. You know, miracle courage is the same way. We need to exercise it to, to make it work. You know, to believe, in fact, that we have this light inside us, that we're worthy of a miracle. I mean, those are all kinds of things that I think that affect whether we're willing to see miracles. Absolutely. And I just uh, commend you for your years of research for talking to so many people. But as we leave and we wrap this up, what do you want your readers and our audience to take away 
from your books and the fact that you do believe in miracles? Well, we've talked a lot about uh, the takeaways. As Joan said, we have that um, uh, take the miracle moment challenge at the end of each chapter. You know, we talked a little bit about, and, and the thing about the takeaway is that I think the miracle collectors, which is kind of the culmination of this 20 years, it's really a book of possibilities. That's the takeaway. It's, it's a book of possibilities about going on a journey with a fresh lens, looking at the world differently. So we talked about awareness and becoming more aware. Once you do become more aware, then you are perhaps braver to be vulnerable, to share stories, to deepen connection with each other. And when you deepen connection, then you start to exercise generosity of spirit because you're feeling safer in that relationship. And then once you feel safer in that relationship, you move on to this final section of the book, which we really haven't touched on today, which is finding meaning. Mm. Um, it, it all sort of, that's what we're all in search of is, is what is meaning in our lives. And I don't think that any of us are ever going to land on a magic little square and the bell's going to ring and it's, you know, lights are going to flash and it's going to say, you've arrived at meaning. Meaning is the search, right? It's the search. It's the journey of, of, you know, just being willing to stay the course, to stay um, on, and everybody's journey is different. I think Katie said it all, but I think what's really important and, you know, it's kind of three words and, and at this time that we're looking and needing inspiration, I think the, the notion that we are all empowered, you know, empowering ourselves to find the miracles and look for the miracles and celebrate the miracles in our lives, I think is so important. No, the recognition and the celebration of those miracles, because they're out there. Um, and all we need to do is look. I love this one quote from um, uh, Krishna, who basically says, the, the, wind of gra the winds of grace are blowing all of the time. All we have to do is raise our sails. I think it's just a beautiful metaphor for um, thinking about miracles being available to all of us. Well, I want to thank you guys for writing these books. I think we are in a time where we need hope and inspiration. And I think your books are very inspiring, uh, re-energizing, invigorating, and touching. And you've really tapped into something after this post-pandemic that our world needs. And that is um, hope, goodness, love, and a bright light. So thank you so much for joining me today. You've touched me as I know you have touched my audience. I encourage everyone listening, go out, grab both of these books. You will not be disappointed. Thank you both for joining me. Thank you so much, Julie. Thanks for having us. Thank you for taking the time and making the effort to, to read the books and to, and to speak so eloquently with us. We really appreciate it. Well, I have thoroughly enjoyed it. Until we talk again. Thanks so much for joining me on Limitless Boldly Tackle Your Next Chapter. Subscribe to the podcast to be the first to know when new episodes drop. You can also keep up with me on Instagram at It's Me Julie Moran. Stay bold, everybody.